Hello, I'm Sean McDonald, and you're listening to Blethered. My guest is Capital FM DJ and host Meg McHugh. Capital Dance DJ Meg recently moved from Glasgow to London and we speak about the step up in her career and how she's adjusted to being part of one of the biggest networks in UK radio. Meg talks about the loss of her beloved dad Michael and how she channeled that emotion and energy into her podcast, McHugh Corner, which tackles hard-hitting subjects head-on. And we chat about London life and bumping into Will Ferrell in the office, as you do. And as always, there's plenty more. So if you enjoy this episode, make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Right, so we are going to bounce all over the UK. Now we'll start at the borders. That's where we grew up with, with your mum, Jelly and dad, Michael. Do you have a, you have a brother? Uh, yes, I've, my brother's called Connor. Connor. He's a, he's a year older than me. Right, okay. Growing up, I mean, so you've ended up going to uni in Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. What happens in between that period? What was it like? Well, I actually was born in Staffordshire, so I grew up in the borders, but I was actually born in Staffordshire. So you're a total British nomad. Yeah, I know. I always say to myself, I'm Scottish, so Mm. that's what it is for me. But yeah, that's kind of like all I can really remember, because I got a really bad childhood, like, memory from my childhood. Mm -hmm. So we moved up to, to Scotland very early on, moved to the borders, went to school there. And it was funny, because I was quite English at the time. Like, very English-sounding, anyway, more than that. <laughs> yeah, because you've got and to be English twang. Yeah. I, I always wondered, there, I was like, is that for radio? Is that to soften no. it? Is that just because you've been all over? Yeah, it's literally because I've been all over. And um, But I was more kind of, I guess, Birmingham when I came up. Mm. So it was a very small town, like, Scottish small town. So you get that ripped right out of you straight away. Yeah. And then went through school there, primary school there, and then... Went to uni for Aberde- uh, to Aberdeen for uni, and I went to RGU there. So that was kind of the movement. Was it? Did you always think broadcasting media? That's what you wanted to, yeah. to get into. Well, I've always wanted to do like something with speaking or communication, mm. or I, I've done I've done like a lot of different things over my life that I kind of dipped in and out of. I liked kind of acting at one point and like dancing, and I just didn't know which way to go but I knew that it was always something to do with creating something Mm -hmm. because I find myself getting so bored so easily of like the mundane so and I like creating things just the same as yourself like you've got these ideas and you just need to put them somewhere so I always knew that I want to do something along those lines and in a way I felt like presenting um was a way to kind of like relate to people better and like Mm -hmm. maybe make some sort of difference so that's kind of what I like the angle I was kind of going down, but it was, it was difficult in a in a town that was quite small, I guess, in comparison to like London. Whereas, I think if you had those ideas when you were that age, people would be like, "Oh, you need to think of a, a real job," sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So that was you had to push past those pushbacks, didn't you? Yeah, there, there tends. To, I always find anybody the people I encounter working in radio and TV a lot do come from quote unquote smaller places. Yeah, and I think if you have that drive within you. And you come from a wee small place, you probably want to be in a, I don't in the middle of something, if that makes sense, and yeah. maybe drive you to do it more. So why why Aberdeen though? Why did you end up studying up there? Well, again, it was kind of I found that a lot of the places that I went to, so there was Glasgow, Caledonia, and then Queen Margaret's, and a couple other different ones, and they just didn't quite like the courses were a little bit more broadcasty mm. and a little bit more news related. And I knew that I never, ever in my life wanted to be a news presenter because it just brings me down. Right? It really, <laughs> I really does. I, I have to just not watch the news these yeah, days. Yeah, I know. I'm the same. Like, I just, oh, it really affects me. So I knew that I didn't want to do anything towards, like, broadcasting. Um, and then a media one popped up for RGU. I liked the the look of the place. And I think it was, like, just the young me wanting to be far away from home because it was, like, the furthest away one. Nothing to do with, like, my family or anything like that. It was just for me, I wanted to, like, go on, like, a different yeah. experience where I didn't know any anyone and just completely started afresh. That's the extrovert so, and you're coming out then by the sounds of it. Yeah, I know. But then it ends up being, like, you go there and you feel weird because you don't know anyone. So it mm. is a very much a transition period where it's very lonely for a while. But then when you get into your groove and stuff, it's, it's it ends up being fine, but... That was why um, mainly is because the media course was a lot more mm. like documentary, more hands-on, that kind of thing. See what you're saying about 
getting out of the comfort zone, realising after a while it's not it's been uncomfortable, and then you're like, oh wait, actually this is okay. So I think that made it easier for you to, and we will go on to talk about this, but to move to Glasgow and to move to London because you're kind of jumping feet first into the unknown. Yeah, and I think as well, like because my family moved around a lot in England first and then we moved around to Scotland, I've always kind of, I guess from a young age, got really bored really quickly mm-hmm. and got kind of like, oh, I wonder what's out there. I want to explore more things and like... It is obviously a bit of a catch-22 because I was in halls for the first year of... And I hated that. Like, mm. I absolutely hated that because I was... It was it was fun for the first little bit, but then I think when you're trying to, you know, make your way, it's it's too much being in halls with a bunch of people you don't even know. Yeah. And like, they're not even the same as you. And, yeah, I didn't like that at all, so that was quite a negative time. But then when I moved past that, and then you find the people that you connect with and things like that, that's when... Mm-hmm. It feels good and it feels comfortable, but then I get bored again and I want to move. See, so I'm, I'm like that, and I don't know. I don't know where I get that from. Like I'll be flying somewhere. Or let's say I remember being in Split and seeing other people in Berlin and be like, "Fuck, it looks brilliant." Yes, literally. And like, just relax, and it sounds as if I'm saying I'm never satisfied. I'm just always like, "Yeah, but I also would like to be I there. And I would like to be doing all these things at once." And I think it's like one of those things where, you know, you have to slow yourself down because when you get one thing we don't spend enough time celebrating it. We're like, yeah. oh, we need to go to the next thing and the next thing. So yeah. I've like tried to like stop doing that because I, then you never feel satisfied, do you? I, tr- I try that and I always kind of try and remind myself. I'm like, if you four years ago could see you now, you'd be like, amazing, yeah. cool, job done. But you get to this point and then you're looking forward another four years and yeah, it's good to it's good to look forward, isn't it? But it is good to, yeah. to sort of stop and, and to take stock. Quite interested in what you were saying about your course that it was kind of documentary-based because mm. really, really jumping ahead chronologically, but why not? Let's make it a bit haphazard. Okay. I want to talk about your podcast, McHugh Corner. Oh, yeah. Big fan. Oh, really? Yeah, really, really, really like it. Oh, my God. We, you and I have covered quite a few of the, the same subjects. Now, if anybody wants to listen, I would say, and I want to talk about one or two in particular, uh, you had your one of your best friends, Donald Butler, on. Yes. Uh, speaking about HIV diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've discussed grief, suicide. You had Cassie Gillespie, mm-hmm. uh, or pal Cassie for Clyde One. Yeah. You had her talking about cancel culture. The other one I quite enjoyed with, I think it was, his name was Rudy Fairburns, about taking a break from booze. Yes, yeah. I thought that was quite an interesting one. Um, but I'm the, so happy you listened to it. Not, I, well, I mean, one, I, I enjoyed it, but two, it's part of my research, so I've been listening for ages. Oh, um, really? Sort of in, oh, in anticipation. But... Right, so the one I wanted to talk about, and I saw this story when it was in the press. I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah, a young guy from, I think it's Hamilton. Yeah. Sean Timlin. Now, someone with the same name as him, from the same town, but six years younger, was a convicted paedophile, and the infamous Glasgow crime magazine, The Digger, printed a story with the wrong guy's picture. Yeah. And it's obviously what ensues is the predictable outcomes and sort of ramifications. I thought that was a great... A great interview, a great chat in general. It made me laugh. He did say, the digger gave my photograph the biggest nonce-edit possible. (laughs) (laughs) Make it it look... on his face, didn't they? Yeah, making it look even more. He zoomed in and it's like, he probably had glasses and a cardigan on, like your typical nonce attire. And it's just like, fucking brutal though. I remember seeing that, yeah. It was like years ago now. And then thinking to myself, I couldn't even imagine what that must feel like to wake up and like have something written about you that's not true. But that particular thing is the fucking worst oh, thing that could ever be written about you that is truly the, there's nothing worse that could be written no. there are things that will come close yeah. but there's nothing that could ever be worse I mean that's a whole other conversation in itself about the digger um, and the sort of recklessness and the lack of ethics that they yeah. under which they operate surely Do, they realise as well there's going to be more than one Sean Timlin in Hamilton yeah. like come I mean, on fuck me what a coincidence though what yeah. a coincidence from the same place. Um, was there any eventual outcome in terms of like compensation, apology, retraction? Yeah, so he, I mean, he's like a, a very like... Seemed like a really lovely guy. Really as well. lovely guy. And he wasn't, I think what he wanted really was his name to be cleared. Yeah. Whereas I was very much like, you know, you should be suing for loads because I think that this has taken such a toll in your life, not just mm-hmm. like um, because of you know, the physicalness, but in his mental health as well. Like, yeah. he'll he'll have to carry that for years and there'll be loads of people out there, even though he has cleared his name, that's still going to believe it's him. Yeah. And I feel like that's a long-going thing to get through. Like, he had to go through therapy and thing. He can leave his house for, like, months because he was scared to get beaten up. Unimaginable. Like, so I, 
I think he ended up getting something like five grand or something like that, which is nothing, is it? I was like, that's shit. But... For, for the amount of stress caused reputational yeah. damage and harm, you're, I would honestly be looking at the upwards of tens of tens of thousands I for that. I thought that as well, but he seemed like, I don't know, he's, he's not money-orientated. Mm-hmm. Um, he was just saying, you know, he was grateful to have his yeah. family and friends there. But, uh, man, I would have been asking for a lot more. Yeah, I, I had something absolutely not along the same lines. I can remember where I was. It was a Friday night. It was March 2013 because it was like the night before I went to this thing at the Arches. That's why I can remember the time and I was with my pal Stuart and we'd been at Nando's at the fort and my phone started going mental. Yeah. And long story short, what had happened is someone in Dunfermline had written a Facebook status calling somebody out for messaging his 13-year-old sister. Oh, and I think God. the guy's name was like Sean... Thompson or Smith or Black or something and he's typed in at Sean and he's clicked the wrong one and he's clicked me oh shit so while he's actually written the right name it's just like my first name that's that's clickable that that he's tagged and I was getting all sorts of messages and stuff and I honestly felt as if my world was caving in I was like by this horrible just pure coincidence Mm. I've I've been tagged I I remember saying like fucking delete this tag the right person like yeah. I'm, I'm sorry this has happened this has nothing to do with me yeah. people are going nah you would say that and I'm like that's the it. fuck like I'm in Glasgow you're all in like Dunfermline or Cowdenbeatha like somewhere yeah. mental like this I think as well like you know it, that is the worst luck ever really because there's nothing oh, yeah. behind it apart from just your name being the same yeah. like it's so unfortunate that that could happen but with something so mm. serious like but yeah you think if anything, you know, you're tagged in anything and it's not correct or whatever, it's bad enough. But if it was like about that, yeah. then... With the, I mean, with the digger, if you're operating as a, what they would call a... a I don't know how you call it, an esteemed publication. That's how they see mm. themselves. You should be operating with ethics and with the yeah. pro- proper due practices. Like, if you're, if you're doing something like you must... It must go through multiple levels of verification or like is this the right person before yeah, you yeah and even just like the, the storyline as well like surely yeah. there's like editors that like check that things are spelt even spelt correctly yeah. like surely that's like the basic mm-hmm. let alone to make sure you get the right bloody picture yeah. of someone but with the overall tone of the, the podcast is is quite it's like sort of ju- when you look at it you're profile or, or how you'd be perceived in terms of you know on capital dances we're, we're going to talk about and stuff it seems like a real juxtaposition from that type of format like did you start the podcast as a sort of creative outlet and think i have got so much to so much to give or so much creative things that i want to do or so many creative things i want to do rather mm-hmm. um because feeling a wee bit limited by by your sort of radio work like how did that sort of figure itself well the the whole premise of the the podcast was because my dad passed away yeah and uh, I found the season two, the one that you're referring to with like Donald and mm-hmm. the HIV and the wrong um, identification, all of that's in the next season because that's just mental health as like a scope. Mm-hmm. But the first season is purely about grief and how to deal with it and how to um, deal with other people who are dealing with it. Because mm-hmm. I found that when my dad passed away, um, obviously I had some time off work. And then when I went back to work, I found that either people were like on eggshells with me um it wasn't mentioned it was just I don't know I I obviously hadn't processed it myself I was a a mess Mm. and I was just back to work and it was just like what the hell's going on here like I just don't think that this is right so I thought I'm going to make an outlet to speak about it and then see and to make it a positive thing by the way anyone listening it's not it's not like, you know, all doom and gloom. Obviously, the topic is grief. Yeah. But it's more like about celebrating life. And I then had a first episode inviting anyone to come on if they wanted to talk about their stories. And then the first, like, maybe five or six in that season was all different people who had gone through their own grief. And mm-hmm. actually, they all said to me afterwards that they felt like a weight had been lifted. Yeah. Because it's just, it, it goes back to kind of like therapy. Not that I'm saying that that was what I was trying to portray. It's therapeutic in a but way. But it's therapeutic, yeah, because you just, you get a, an avenue to speak about someone you love. And I think the thing is, it's, it's a shame for people because they don't, if you've never had it happen to you, you don't really know how to address it because you yeah. think, shit, if I speak about someone that's died to them, it's just going to remind them. But the the fact is that you never... You never not remember mm-hmm. and then bringing it up is not going to make you feel worse it actually makes you feel better because yeah. it gives you a chance to speak about it yeah. so that's what i wanted to do and then from that um that's how i got my first job with with bauer so right okay so that came out and that so yeah. was your first one was it north sound 
Uh, so, uh, sorry, I meant my first solo show. Right, right, yeah. okay, okay. Because I was working North Sound doing traffic and travel. Right. Um, so just doing the roads around Aberdeen. <laughs> <laughs> and then after the podcast was shared on LinkedIn, yeah. the content director of Bauer in Scotland picked up on it, saw that I worked at North Sound and then offered Fantastic. me the show. So I was like, that's actually quite beautiful because yeah, like, it's kind of like my dad's helped me <laughs> with my radio career. So yeah, yeah it was it's nice. Because I, I did a similar episode with a pal of mine, Chelsea Alexander, and I think that was maybe back in like February and the episode was titled How Do You Deal With Grief? Yeah. And she lost her mum really suddenly. Yeah. And it was tough. It was uncomfortable. Like I was squirming a bit. Um, I mean, we had had a chat beforehand about what type of things can we talk about, and it did culminate in her being completely stoic and just having a laugh, being being very funny, being very warm, yeah, tender, very vulnerable, but keeping it together. Well, I sat, I like cried about four or five times the way through because one, you you kind of feel the pain for the other person, but you also imagine if it's you, yeah, and and how you would feel. Um, I mean, so that was. I think it was the 23rd of November, am I right in saying that? Yes, 2018. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, let's let's talk about that. I mean, how mm-hmm. how do you even... You get a phone call to say, you know, I think your dad been a bit unwell, but it wasn't completely expected. Um, yeah, so he... It was, he needed to have, basically, heart surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was known for a while. It was, like, either heart, heart surgery or stents. Um, and stents is, like would have given him like five years, for example, and then the heart surgery would have given him 10. So he went for that um, after we all discussed it as a family sort of thing. And then went through that and it was was a success, which was great. But it turns out that there was like underlying cancer Uh. in his his stomach. And uh, it was like a very like dark black shadow sort of thing, apparently, which I still can't understand or wrap my head around because he, like, surely you would have to check these things beforehand. But anyway, I'd, the whole kind of thing's a blur to me um, because of the time. But that's basically what happened. He had cancer, he had another stomach problem, and then I think being quite weak immune system-wise anyway mm-hmm. from the heart surgery, he just deteriorated, like, rapidly. But for me, I never even considered the fact that he was going to pass away um, because yeah. it was... It was nothing to do with it. Like he was, his heart surgery he was recovering from. So I, we were just. He looked really, really unwell. Like I, I visited him twice, and he just looked so bad. And it was, it, it was horrible to see my dad like that because, like, I'm more emotional than my brother is. Like, so my brother could go along, chat about his life, and you know, make make conversation. Whereas, like, I very much felt like his pain sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it was difficult to do that. And then one morning. I just by chance had my phone on. I, I never had my phone on loud ever, and it it rang in the middle of the night, and um, and it was my mum saying like, "You need to come down to the borders from Aberdeen because Dad's really not well." And at the same time, her dad isn't well, right? Uh, her Tom. Yes, him. Um, you have done your research. <laughs> no stone on Tom. <laughs> yeah, so my granddad was really unwell, so I thought she meant him, and then um. No, she was like, no, your dad. And I was like, you know, what the fuck are you talking about yeah. sort of thing. So I was pacing the flat, trying to get down on the first train, which was like five in the morning. And it was like three in the morning. So it was a brutal experience. And then, yeah, he pretty much, I needed to pretty much say goodbye to him on the train with like loads of other people there. So, yeah, it's hard. Honestly, I can't even, I can't even imagine. <laughs> Right? Yeah, yeah, I just felt emotional all of a sudden. Do you want to hug it? In? No, I'm fine. No, sure. I, yeah, I'm fine. I just, I know. Thinking about it sometimes is hard, but it's also nice to have a little cry. You know what I mean? Totally. So, I mean, it's kind of it's like I just, I think it was just that specific part remembering having to say bye when people people were around. If you know what I mean? I know. That was like I wouldn't wish that on anyone because other people were like, "What the fuck's wrong with her?" Like because I was kind of hiding my head in the corner of, like, trying to think of something to say to him because he couldn't speak sort of thing. Mm. Um, and I could just, like, hear, just kind of mumble sort of thing. Like he wasn't really saying anything because he was in a coma. Um, and then finally got to Edinburgh. My mum's partner picked me up from there and then we kind of, like, sped all the way to the borders. Um, and then, yeah, he passed away before I got there. So, which I guess in a way is like a... A good thing because I think if I was in Connor and Mum's position, being actually there watching him die, like I would have probably made it worse for him. 
because yeah. I would have been so distraught. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, it was very sudden. And but even though it's like, like four years ago, and I'm actually like, I cope with it fine now. It's just sometimes remembering those little bits brings it back. You know what I mean? Completely. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you have so many fond, warm memories. I, I think me and my dad's bond was just like so yeah. deep. Yeah. And so was so was his with that as well. But I think it's probably because he was hearing my voice on the phone, maybe. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, in a way, like, he he bypassed all of COVID and stuff. Like, he, yeah. never, he never had to live through that horrible time. And I almost am glad of that because my, da- my dad would have been high risk. Yeah. He was overweight. He would live out in the country. Like, he would have been so lonely. So mm-hmm. it was almost like he didn't have to experience that horrible time. Mm-hmm. And because he was an older dad for, I guess, for society, because he yeah. passed when he was, um, I can't remember, 68, something like 69. Um, I guess I had the best experiences of him because he was older, so he wasn't working when I was growing up. Just so that wee so, bit more life experience as well to pass that on. Yeah, exactly. And, and I feel like when I have a certain down day about him or if I have, like, just feeling like, like shit... I actually go and purposely listen to his music and like look at his photos and like purposely cry because mm-hmm. then I feel so much better after it. Do you feel it's like you know if if you're in school and and you want to laugh, remember you wanted to laugh at something and, and you would try and hold it in and it would hurt, yeah. like yeah. it would physically hurt because that is That's like so, just, such a good um, it's a, yeah, it's like an authentic emotion and it it's an energy that wants to get itself out. Yeah, and I think with when you try and suppress that, like I remember times nearly passing out. They're trying not to laugh in like yeah. a French class or and something. And it made it, it actually makes it so much funnier as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it's like that is a that is a form of energy that's kind of going through you and has to has to come out. Yeah. And and while like the pain is unimaginable and and incomparable to anything, um, it's yeah, it's a healthy thing. I mean, I think. Yeah. One with we, we, the creation of the podcast and, and those episodes talking about grief and stuff, the the amount of people who have got in touch with you to say that what that gave them will probably be really high, but you can guarantee that 90% more of the people that listened to it, they would have just kept that to themselves. Like, they maybe just wouldn't want to tell you. And mm-hmm. you've given, like, some immense gifts, so you've taken some some really painful negative experience into something which is, has improved the world. Oh, which, thanks. <laughs> and I, mean, I know that sounds like I'm being pure dramatic, but no, it has, but like... that's a nice thing to, to if, hear. If you... If you ease the pain of somebody else that's going through something, you've, then you have, by proxy, you've improved the world. I think as well, like, I spoke about this with, with one of my pals, and it's like, the biggest the biggest gift, I think, or the biggest tribute you can pay to to people that, you know, have been so dear to you that are no longer with us, is to, to go and maximise your potential, to go and try mm. and live a life of happiness and joy and stuff and in fact you know sometimes people say they feel guilt for for enjoying life or for laughing and it's like yeah that's crazy that isn't it yeah and I mean I I get it you feel Mm. bad you're like no I mean I should be in mourning and stuff and yeah that makes complete sense but it's like actually if that person had one more day on earth how would they spend it would they Mm. spend it laughing and enjoying themselves or would they kind of wallow not wallow but would they find themselves submerged in the sadness and and I think I think that's genuinely what our, our point of the whole podcast was. That people think that you must be okay and over it yeah. if you even dare smile, which is not the case. Like grief comes in so many stages. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's two things I always kind of say to people if they feel comfortable with me sharing it. But the two of them are the first one was there's like a Native American belief, and it's that to 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 miss somebody who has passed on is like a sin. And I know that sounds horrendous, but I'll kind of elaborate upon that. Mm -hmm. And it's basically that where they've gone, their belief is that where they've gone is so spectacular and so magical, and they're with the people that they've once cried over. And if you gave them the chance and said, do you want to come back? They go, "Mm, no, I think I'll just wait here for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's quite a nice way to look at it. Yeah, when you see that way, you're like, right, okay. Mm. That's just, they've kind of, they've gone on to the next stage of the party. And another one as well is there's a book by... A guy, Victor Frankl, uh, and it's called Man's Search for Meaning. I think I've shared this before and spoken about it before. And basically, long story short, he was lived through the Holocaust and he lost like all of his family. Mm-hmm. And he came up, well, I think he came up with ways to 
to deal with with grief and, and kind of how to deal with it. And I think he was like a psychologist in Vienna and someone came to see him years and years later because he couldn't go over the, the passing of his wife. And they were trying loads of different things. And then the, the breakthrough was Victor Frankl was like, well, let's flip it around and imagine that, that your wife had to live without you. How do you think she would cope? And he said, oh, you know, she wouldn't be able to. She would, you know, she would find it too difficult across the bear and stuff. And then he's saying, well, how beautiful a thing is it that you've taken that for her so that she doesn't have to to experience life without you and it's kind of oh, shifting wow. it's, it's shifting your shifting perspective frame. a wee bit I completely agree with things like that as well like I um, kind of going back to what you were saying like about this opportunity and, and like sadness mm-hmm. it's always like my brother said something quite like almost like profound when it happened he was like you know nothing it's given you a superpower because nothing's ever going to hurt God, as much yeah. and like I, and the way that he said that I was like that's so interesting and and has made me feel some sort of level of, you know what, now I feel like I've got to to help others going through this. And, you know, I also have quite a... Because my dad was very spiritual and he believed in, like, Buddhist practice and things like that. So I have quite a strong belief in, like, you know, it's not the end afterwards. Me too. So, and I I, I just couldn't comprehend that because it just, you know, doesn't make sense in my head whatsoever. So that also gives me a little bit of, like you know solace that because for me a lot of things have happened since he's passed away that are unexplainable mm. um and like th- certain things happening in, in certain sequences or things like that and i'm like i can't explain that other than i feel his energy and i don't believe that he's gone yeah you know what i mean so well, i mean one thing that's for certain is he will be and is immensely proud of you and everything that you've, oh, you've achieved so to this point thank you um i, I and, think i think um yeah, it's just given me a, a real motivation to, like, you know, keep him living through me, I guess. Yeah. So, um, thank you, though. That's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> the emotional... Yeah, I know, therapy session for seg- me. <laughs> I know, therapy session for me as well. For, um, so, first show, we'll go back to work. Back to work. <laughs> <laughs> first show then comes off the back of that. I mean, that is quite... That's a sort of serendipitous wee thing, isn't yeah. it? Something like that comes off the back of it. I know, and it was, I mean... It was a big step up for what I was doing, yeah. to be honest, because I was doing the traffic and travel just around Aberdeen. And then that was, you know, maybe a little bit of chat here and there to the host mm-hmm. at the time. But that was the extent. And then after that, it was almost like she enjoyed the sound of my voice for a certain type of time of night. Um, and then that was, it was Hitch Chilled at the time. And she, want, the boss at the time, wanted me to go on not just North Sound, but all of the networks around mm-hmm. Scotland. So it would be like Clyde One, Fourth One, everywhere, yeah. Inverness, things like that. Um, which was amazing for me because I was like, Jesus Christ, like I've got imposter syndrome. Like <laughs> I can't do that sort of thing. So I did like a couple weeks where I um, did like really early breakfast at a time that no one would really be listening as much just to get like the air miles in really because yeah, yeah. I'd never fucking done it. And then... After maybe like two, three weeks, they were like, oh, do you, want, do you want the job? And I was like, oh my God, I've got to move my life. Aberdeen to Glasgow. And like, it was mental because when I was doing the cover for that, I was working in Apple in Aberdeen at the time, right? <laughs> and fucking the boss wouldn't let me off for those two weeks. So I had to work in Aberdeen and Apple in the morning, do the show in Clyde at night, yeah, have an hour sleep and then fucking drive back up. You jealous apple bastard, like, let her <laughs> off. Like, <laughs> I know. Pounding, like. I know, and honestly, one of the, one day, I was like, I can't, I just can't come in because I'm, like, too tired. It's dangerous on the motorway. Yeah. And they went mental. And then I was like, I don't know, I just always think to myself, you know, pushing the hobbies, what you want to do. But if you miss a day at work to do that, not a chance, like, yeah. you know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, that's how I ended up moving down and I was glad of it at that time, to be honest, because you need to finish. Most of my friends had gone. Like, Aberdeen was good for me for that. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to move on to, like, the biggest place in Scotland from, you know, Glasgow. Yeah. So, like, the, the hub of media. Mm-hmm. So, um, How did it go when you came down? Did you feel as if, because you obviously had that experience of moving about quite a lot anyway, mm-hmm. so did, was it just a, a repetition of that or was it still difficult in the beginning part? Um, it was... It was... Diff- every, every time it's been different... Um, and a few of my friends were already in Glasgow, so that made it more comforting, I guess. Um, but I guess the difference was like meeting a whole new work squad. And I think the difficulty, which, which was realistically in the end why I left, 
is working at that time of night with nobody else in the building yeah. is like it's pretty depressing well because remember when that when we first met i was coming out of the studio after recording yes. something and yeah. i remember being like surely you're not just in here just I, you i know exactly nine o'clock at night get in do the show till one the whole place is empty and did you do that the whole way through for a, for the the for duration th- you were there for three years yeah Fuck's sake. i know and i, I was like I just didn't want to do that nighttime anymore. Yeah. Um, it wasn't for me. And like I felt like towards the end, you know, I, I wanted to be covering bigger shows and doing different things. Yeah. And the opportunity just didn't come. And I didn't want to wait around for someone to hand me that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make it for myself. Because I knew for me, like as much as, you know, overnight to great, I think I had more to give than just being like, you know, the chilled out person. Like I've got more, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I... Uh, I was doing that for three years and then I was just like, right, need to need to move on. So you mentioned that the person responsible for that liked your nighttime voice. Did they think you were just dead chilled out? Because yeah, which is not the case. I mean, well, but I mean, let's talk about some of the voiceover work you've oh, done. Oh God, here we go. <laughs> the meditation app, yeah. how did, where did the right so to explain? So are you, you can explain what it is, but please tell us how that came about. And you are perfect for it. I remember listening going, Oh, I go for a wee nap now, oh, actually. <laughs> thank you. Maybe that could be my next venture. Um, so I've done, I don't know, I can't even remember how the first voiceover came about, but I ended up just doing different ones, I guess, just on my, off my own back. And then from my podcast, actually, yeah, I got a lot of voiceover work. Um, I got something, you know, across in America, a few nice. different jobs. Um, I mean, I, I've got here that you had Nike uh, and a mortgage brokers as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it was just... Um, Covering all bases. I know, I know. <laughs> well, I, I don't know, because I wanted to... I also wanted to prove to myself that, you know, I wasn't just, you know, meditation app, Meg. Like, I, I had different, like, levels. So that's kind of, like, something that I really enjoy as well. Um, and then from that, I think when it gets shared around, then it gets bigger as well. Yeah. So... See, with the, with the meditation app, on one hand, you would send me to sleep, on the other hand, you keep me up at night because I'd be like, I wonder where she's actually from. Because it's <laughs> <laughs> really hard to tell. There's, there's shades of everywhere here. <laughs> and this is what's difficult as well, yeah, is that I, like, in Scotland, when I was rolling around Scotland, I'd be seen as quite, like, posh, I guess, which I don't think I am. But the Callum Gallagher that worked before me, he was, yeah. like, saying that I sounded like the Queen and that. You know, he's, just, <laughs> he's just taking the piss out of me. I was like, shut up. And then, um, but then when I'm down here, everyone thinks I'm pure Scottish. Yeah, you're big, but if you're Yeah, exactly. They're like, Scared oh, the, Scot- the Scottish girl. And I'm like, I don't know where I stand. It's just a voice to me at this point. Yeah. Somewhere in the middle. So, see, what the time you were at, Bauer, because it was unsociable hours, did you ever get a crossover? Because this is what I always call my tabloid segment, where I just want to be like, what famous people did you meet? Who was an asshole? But did you even meet any of them? Because they wouldn't have been in that late. Um, so the, the main people who were like in, so like celebrity-wise, would be mm. always on Drive yeah. or on Breakfast. So, I mean, like, not really. I wouldn't really see them. But I, I also quite liked that time of night as well yeah. because it meant that I could do my other projects like through the day. Mm-hmm. And then on Friday and Saturday nights, I had off every week as well. So I would go out and DJ out in Glasgow and then I would like... I don't know, spent a lot of time putting things into like TikTok and stuff. So it was fine for me. Yeah. But I got to a point where I was like, I want to be interviewing people. I want to be doing this. You know what I mean? So, and I want to progress my radio career. So I just didn't think I was going to get it from Mm -hmm. there. Um, And that's fine. But I just, um, the unsocial hours had perks and, you know, peaks and troughs sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, it probably, they run their course, don't they? And you think I've taken everything I can from this. Like, that's what I meant by saying, like, not that you can't be just fun, Meg, playing the tunes, but also be... Because that struck me as, like, serious journalism. Like, some of the, the episodes and conversations we're having, which are great, so as you're doing both, but it seems to me then that you're thinking, right, the more of this I do and the better feedback I get and the more successful it is, the less I want to just remain yeah. just kind of in this wee position. Yeah, and I think since moving to London, like... Honest, honest to God, it's been like completely different and yeah. exactly what I wanted radio to be mm-hmm. um, because it's busy. Like, honestly, the people you see coming in and out of here, I'm like starstruck sort of thing. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, I feel like there's a progression for me because I've, I've always wanted to do more like on stage work or like TV work and things like that. And I just feel like the buzz is so big, especially just being in London as well. Yeah. Like, I love... I absolutely love Glasgow and I do miss it in many ways. I, but I think for 
my career. I think was sort of the best. That is where you move. That, yeah, yeah. For, for what for what you're doing. And the also table the music work. I kind of like. So like yeah, I like dance music. I like house music. Have, so have to say, uh, she she must be listening. Nicola Holmes is your biggest fan. Remember I told you when I was at the ice skating. And I said, Did you she were... messaged me by any chance? Uh, no, but I was supposed to give your name for the shout out and I forgot. And then she messaged me, like, where the fuck's my shout out? Oh, was... yeah. I'll do, it, I'll do it after. I'll do it at, next week. Aye, because we're at the ice skating and we're just talking. And she's like, I listen to Capital Dance. I like that girl, Meg. And I was like, say that again. What do Because I like just caught the half of it. And I was like, no way, you're joking. And told you and then forgot to get her a shout out. So... Oh, I'll do it at the weekend. Yeah, but, but She's getting she's getting a double whammy now, Nicola. So is she? Well, there yeah. we go. She's, she's getting one, this one, Angie. Here, she, uh, like uh, the the <clears throat> massive support from Scottish people. Yeah. On my listeners, and it's just amazing. Like so many messages in, so many tweets that I'll get. A lot of people have moved to Capital Dance, for example. Yeah. And it's like means so much to me because mm-hmm. like the, the listen- tunes are great as well. The tunes are amazing, and like literally, the listener was what made my job good yeah. because it was obviously like I said to you it was that kind of time of night and it was no one's fault but it was just that time of night it was yeah. lonely so the listener were the people that were like oh you know if you've not been on if I was away on holiday or something they'd be like oh I missed you when you get back and it's just things like that so the fact that they move over with me I'm just like mm, does anybody nice. does anybody or does this happen do people ever phone in and say can I request this because see when I hear that I, yeah. they request it and you're like mate fucking YouTube it like, yeah, it's right there like, you, can, you can get it right now I, I understand it's about the interaction but just yeah, YouTube you, your wee song I think um, yeah a lot of there's a lot of those things especially at that kind of time of night uh, there's a lot of drunk messages as well, oh, drunk yeah. phone calls. <laughs> um, but in the main, like, people are just happy if you just say their name. And you're yeah. just like, oh, yeah, it's it's not on tonight, but I'll get on another time or whatever if it's shit song. <laughs> <laughs> just to make them feel happy. They're like, all right, no worries. Aye, no, we're not playing Drago Stad and Tate today, mate. Let's quickly Exactly. See, when you said you get starstruck with famous people coming in. Well, first of all, I'm going to ask who you saw, but did you see the guy at the reception recognise me? What, just now? Aye, he's like, are you Ryo for the Iron Brew adverts? Now the guy that dives off the springboard. Have you seen it? No. Oh, is fuck. it you? Is it? Fuck, no. <laughs> <laughs> anybody like, who's, anybody, it's the wee, wee greasy Spanish guy and he, <gasps> he like jumps off, he's like, I dive and he jumps. Have you not seen this advert? <gasps> no, I've not seen it. I'll show you make it off. Anyway, yeah, yeah. everybody else that's seen it laughed, right? So you just, you fucked me there. Oh, yeah, I did, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, no, but so who, who have you seen coming in? Um, well, you know what, right? This is another thing that about why I'm so excited to go upstairs mm-hmm. is that, so basically I was saying to Sean before that our studios are down in the kind of the left corner of Global at the moment yeah. and the Capital FM is upstairs, right? Uh, so we're moving up there next week with new studios and all of the like people who are on, you know, Roman Kemp at breakfast, yeah. like Will Ferrell was here last week. Was it? Like Stormzy. No way. All these people. I'm bloody missing them because I'm down You're here. You're a wee fucking Harry Potter <laughs> studio. Have <laughs> <laughs> you covered under the stairs? <laughs> yeah. So after that, um, yeah, I'll be going. I'll be going up. Just like seeing people in passing, like... Becky Hill, and then I saw like a sports presenter, Simon, someone, blonde guy. Simon Jordan? Nah, Simon Thomas. Simon Thomas, yeah, yeah he was in the other day. The guy who lost his wife? Yes, him, yeah. yeah. Um, he was in the other day, I saw him, and just like kind of out and about in London as well. Yeah. Like just seeing people, I was like, oh, I've seen some like big TikTokers and stuff as well. Really? Yeah. Well, you, know, you know the guy that does like the um, skits about. Um, He's like an annoyed girlfriend. Um, no, I'm not explaining it very well. There's, do you know who my favourite? I, I'm not a TikTok fanatic at all, but there's this one guy I like. Nobody will even seen him. Mm. He, what he does is he goes into lifts and his mate will be filming him and he'll start shouting like pure mental gibberish. And oh. it's just everybody... He's like, I, I can't even describe it. If I begin to even try, it will not be funny, but I'm going ah. to try and share it. But he, honestly, like piss myself laughing at just the bewilderment in people's faces. I feel like that's the, the thing as well, isn't it? It's like people are so confident to go and do that. Like, oh you know, the, um, jo- Joseph? Joseph's in the singer, Joseph? No, 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 no. Um, he's a TikToker and he's like always doing like the undercover cop and like he's doing, um, not undercover cop, that's Paul Black. Um, he does like things with his friends and it's like, 
point of view, you're the man that has gives the ick or something. Like, you know what I'm on about? No, I'll need He's, to find it. No, you'll definitely know what I'm talking about. See, He's so funny. See, that ick part is the funniest. That, right, so the ick part makes me laugh. For anybody that's unaware, the ick is innocuous and trivial things that men do to make you completely repulsed by them after previously being attracted to them. Or, or women. They are women, women but it's go... usually for men, though. But some of them are funny, like <laughs> yeah. when he presses the green, for, waits for the green man at the traffic lights and all that. Like I've seen that. I don't believe people actually no, think they that. Don't, but those are what's funny but the ones that has really made me laugh recently is it's like a challenge where it's like there'll be two or three people and they each read one out like they'll take turns and the first person to laugh like loses and it's things that would put a Victorian boy into a coma <laughs> and it's all stuff like Skittles Sours <laughs> and like a Jaeger bomb just like stuff that exists in the modern day world that if a Victorian child encountered it like yeah. he'd, be a, he'd be put in, straight into a coma oh right I've not seen that you, either you, you start seeing them around it's funny but then people are like chips and cheese for the Blue Lagoon or <laughs> like the four, <laughs> <laughs> the four corners in Glasgow or like a Red Bull and all that and you're yeah. like I, that would put a Victorian boy in a coma it's literally oh it's funny what's man. your ick then oh do you have any mm, I do but I just think of the funny ones it's just it's just these sort of trivial ones I even saw like when that trend first started there was a girl that said that she was out with a guy and they get hit by a car and she's like I was never able to look him at the same <laughs> yeah. And I it's saw like, that as well. It's not his fucking fault, man. He get hit by a car. Or just... Also, would you not be like, if it was a guy you were seeing, would you not be like, shit, yeah. a bit concerned, like, but not giving you the egg? Some of them are hilarious, like, when he tries to get the waiter's attention and the waiter just walks past him. <laughs> that like, is a bit of an egg, actually. When he waves at somebody and they don't see him, or like, all oh, these things are funny. I give, you give, like, see, I give myself the egg as well. Like, if I have to ever tie my shoelace in public <laughs> like I, I'm like oh god this is so embarrassing doing this and like the smallest things but I remember Rasheen she was on a podcast with Cassie you know the um, the last it does um, Gogglebox yes yeah yeah um, they've got a podcast called Nags Pals, or Brags Pals, or Pals, Pals Before Girls before, yes, Girls no what's the fuck I don't know something like that I've never understood that username but anyway she said that she gives herself the ick by pill, uh, filling up petrol in the petrol <laughs> station and it's just like these everyday menial tasks yeah, and it's like, like why like that, that's enough to, to make somebody repulsed by you um, how how has London life been overall? Like, do, does it feel a bit overwhelming at, at times? Yeah, definitely. Fucking huge, man. Yeah, no, and it's like... It makes Glasgow seem like Emmerdale Farm. Yeah, literally. And, like, the contrast of some of the things, like, it's just night and day. Like, there's pros and cons to both. Yeah. But I think, like, when I first moved down, and it was everything was so hectic, I'd just started this new show, had to get, like, loads of photos, like, meeting loads of new people. And then it's all like, wow, this is fucking mad yeah. and then after a couple of weeks pass and you've been kind of doing your thing and like everyone does their own thing that's when loneliness hits Yeah, and you're like shit like I don't know what I'm doing here I'm being pulled at every angle people like I'm meeting new people but I've also got a social battery that's running out and it's like you know new flatmates like everything for me has been new mm -hmm. so that has been difficult at times but I feel like I've getting into a groove of it now and I just need... The thing that I'm finding the most crazy is how much stuff is going on all the time. And it's like, there's no break. And every, everything's so fucking fast. Everyone's walking 100 miles an hour. And I've noticed that I'm now walking 100 miles no, an hour. No, they, they don't. I'm, oh, dear, I'm like, going to get my fucking road, yeah. man, try to get through Leicester Square. Leicester Square is, the, honestly, like, when I first came here, I was like, wow, like, this is amazing. And yeah. now I'm like, I oh, can't stand being here. Leicester Square after. is the ick. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah, literally, because it's so many people. No one's got any, like, self-awareness that they're taking up the whole uh, space. I know. So, um, but yeah, but it was funny because, like, how fast I've gone from, like, Tourist Meg yeah. to being like, get out of the fucking way. <laughs> See, I'm, d I'm down here that often that I'm kind of like, get out of the way and I know my way about, but mm. I still get totally sucked in by like the history, just I'm obsessed with the history of London yeah. and old buildings and looking at stuff like that. Magic will never go away, but I'm very much in this sphere of, right, get out of my way, I've got places yeah. to go. And the thing is, as well, like, you know, London's got this beauty about it that you can literally like be who you want to be. And you can wear what you want to wear, and like yeah. no one's gonna bat an eyelid at you. Yeah. Like you saw a bloody parrot on someone's shoulder on the way here. I saw yes. your Instagram story Aye, on, the, on the tube. I was like, honestly, thought I need, I need a sleep plate. Am I hallucinating? Yeah. There's that guy get a parrot, and no one and, even looks at them. Nah, nah. And then it's mad. I, I videoed him, and people looking at me is like, why are you videoing this guy? I'm like, no, hold on a minute. Like normal rules don't apply here. He's got this big fuck off parrot on his shoulder. Literally, the parrot's just like looking about as if this was the most normal thing ever. I know, <laughs> and it's, it's bizarre because like. 
And, but in the same vein, I think there's obviously downsides to that because if somebody's like, you know, if somebody's homeless, you know, there's a lot of walking past, not even yeah. paying attention. Whereas in Glasgow, if somebody was homeless, people would be hanging out with them, you know, after their night out and like mm. buying them a pack of bags or buying them like a, a McDonald's or something yeah. like that, like chatting away to them about their life. So it's a, it's a stark contrast. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when I first moved here, actually, my phone got nicked. Like in the oh, first in the yeah. first weekend, what, did it not end up in like Greenwich or Southwark or something? Did you get it back? I never got it back. Like my no friend way. was like, "We should go and get it," and I was like, oh, "I'd rather have my life than my yeah. phone." You know what I mean? Because I did phone the police, and they were like, they didn't do anything about it. To be honest, um, so I was I kind of, you know, accepted the fact it was gone because I think me rocking up to like a random neighbourhood, being like, "Hi." Hi there, can I just get my phone back? (laughs) (laughs) What was that? (laughs) Even they would take you more posh. Yeah, I know. But but that was another thing. Like, my my friend said to me, just, you know, we were at a club and I was just chatting to people in the street afterwards before waiting for my Uber. uh, Before I knew it, my phone was gone on. I was like, fuck, like, Uh, that would never happen in Glasgow. Like, someone would nick mm, your phone from your pocket like that. So you have to have your wits about you more. You do. But there's also way more to do and more opportunities here. So it's just like... No. Pros and cons, but it's sensory overloading for somebody who's yeah. spoken very often on, on your TikTok and these viral videos talking about having ADHD. How do you kind of manage that? Like, do, do, you, do you think, do you become a wee bit overstimulated or is it? Yeah, I think like with the whole ADHD, ADHD, you can't even speak, ADHD journey for me is, I hate that word journey, but I don't know how else to describe it. Mm. It's like if I didn't have my diagnosis and I hadn't got my medication yeah. and I hadn't done a lot of like, you know, self understanding of what it is, yeah. then I don't think I would have ever been able to do this because it's so, I had to change everything about my life so much in such a short space of time that I would have had a meltdown, to be honest. Even down to time management, having to get places because it yeah. takes ages to get here. Yeah. Or to, or to get around, sorry. Exactly. And like, I think, you know, the fact of the matter, you know, is you're always thinking of stuff all the time. It's constant yeah. thoughts. Never switch off. Ne- never switches off. But since being on the medication, that slowed that down. Mm. So I can actually basically not overreact. Yeah. Like I'm a lot more calm of a person and yeah. a lot more rational. And I think the problem was before, I mean, don't get me wrong, I still get very anxious at times and um, can be in like bad places in my head, but I can fix it a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, if I was to spiral and I'd be like, what the fuck, it's too much going on in my brain, it won't shut off. I instantly thought that I was just depressed or like that's what we've always been conditioned. Like, you know, yeah. you you know, take an um, antidepressant, you'll be fine sort of thing. But, I don't think at the time when I was diagnosed there was any information about ADHD really, especially no. in the UK and especially for women, which is why I started the TikToks. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think putting boundaries in places has been, been a, mm. lot, a better one for me. The ADHD thing for me is probably not even any point talking about it. I did speak to a GP who was like, oh mate, you're off the scale. There's nothing we can do. You're like, all right. I would, I that, I that doesn't even make sense though. Because it was to me saying like it would just take such a long time because what they would have to, their reasoning was they would have to refer me to a specialist and that can take up to two years. And I've been told in, in Glasgow anyway that they're just like, don't want to know about it. Don't want yeah, to hear about well, it. Yeah, well, I had a fucking disaster with mine, to be honest. Oh. Um, the Like the GP recommended to go private, mm-hmm. which I did. And she said, when you come back, it, it, it is expensive, but it's a means to an end. Yeah. Come back and then we'll do the private shared care program. So I did, yeah. did that, spent thousands and then went back with it. And then they were like, oh, actually, sorry, changed our minds, like yeah. sort of thing. And then I was like, what? That's what like, I was warned about. And don't don't go down that road thinking that that will be the means to an end because yeah. it's kind of road to nowhere. But why though? Like, it just makes no sense. Like, I, surely for them, if they see a private doctor mm-hmm. with an actual diagnosis that's been done exactly that's like medically approved surely that saves them time if anything it just oh, makes yeah. no sense only they can answer that but I think it's a dereliction of duty really to, yeah. towards people but, but also I think you know some places across Scotland allow it some yeah. places Glasgow's Glasgow struggle seems to, yeah seems to be notoriously bad yeah and I think like without um, you know meaning to obviously with the TikTok blowing up a lot more people are getting diagnosed and then yeah. that's like also you know making it more difficult for people and they will have to wait years and years. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand when I see people saying, oh, it's become fashionable and everybody wants to be diagnosed. And I'm just like, well, maybe it's, like I, I take your point and yes, there's probably an element of truth to it, but maybe it's that the information is now readily available because yeah. there's, there's things I was reading and, and going, oh my God, this is describing like even sometimes weird behaviours or thought patterns and that type yeah. of thing. 
the, the, the fashionable thing I can't get behind because, say, for example, yeah, someone was saw something like, you know, about an organisation thing. They're like, oh, must be ADHD. Yeah. That doesn't offend me as someone who has ADHD because, no, yeah, no. first of all, at least they have some sort of awareness or feeling like they can relate to someone else without mm-hmm. thinking that they're mental. Um, and second of all, you can't get a diagnosis. Like, you have to get a, f- a proper one. Yeah. So everyone that's getting really upset about it, people have self-diagnosing, it's just, you just have to like be like, who cares? You know mm. what I mean? Like, the only time it would ever be an issue is if they were putting information out there for other people, which, yeah. you know, but again, I think any sort of like feeling of this is why your brain is acting this way and it's not on you and you're not alone and you're not mental, I think that can only be a good thing. Yeah. You know, because just, just awareness of these things yeah. is, you know, really important and it helped me, so... Yeah, the videos you put out in explanations, I think it's just getting things listed and or saying here are here are five or six things that this could be this and going, oh yeah, right, right. so I don't have just a mad shit brain that sometimes just decides exactly. not to work. And also the things that like I've discovered about ADHD and I think anybody listening that doesn't really know what it is, I think everyone just thinks it's purely about organisation and lateness, which is not the case because I've always, in my life succeeded but with great difficulty mm-hmm. like yeah a lot i had to try so much harder to understand things but then the creative stuff came easily to me mm-hmm. but it's actually a lot more about like your emotions and about how you react to things and your sensitivity levels and all of these different things come with adhd that's not just um about like the practical side yeah so like you know just small things like if you've um you can be really turbulent with relationships and you can take things wrong and you over, like, um, catastrophize in your head and yeah. you make up situations. Like, all of these things are linked to uh, rejection-sensitive dysphoria, which is RSD, which is linked to ADHD and they all kind of combine. Mm. But nobody thinks about that level. They just think they're fucking mental. Yeah. Which is why it's good to look into it. Yeah. Well, on that note, because I can't get any doctors to help me, so if anybody's punting ADHD medication, just <laughs> let, let me know what we'll do. We do. Are you allowed to solicit um, medication through a podcast? Solicit? What's that? Solicit, like, just try to gain it or try to get it. Uh, well, you've, you've done it now, so yeah, but too late. <laughs> Aye, too late. Um, no, it's, uh, it's I talk about Elvans all the time yeah. on TikTok, so that, and that's what I'm on. Yeah. So and and the, and the spirit of ADHD will go from talking about medication to music because this is just what I wanted to wrap up on. Basically, that we have got a very similar music taste. You said before, Tame Impala, Jamie XX, and ABBA. Oh, N- none of them connected. Have you? Wait, where, where did you see that? Can I remember? I, well, I do like Somewhere. those, all of the, those three. I'm not saying it's just those three. When you said Tame Impala first, I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> those, those, are just, those are just the ones that I've got. Yeah. Um, but I, that's probably a, a good place to, to round it up. Yeah. I really, really have enjoyed it. Have you? Good. Nah, I'm only joking. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> no, it's been really nice. Like, yeah. very, it's nice to have. Sorry I made you cry at the start. No, I like crying. Do you? Like, yeah, I actually do. Well, yeah. I think you're an idiot. <laughs> Probably need to go a bit harsher than that to get more tears, wouldn't it? Well, that's the thing, like, kind of what we were saying, like, I think it's just people need to allow themselves that space to to do those things or else they're just going to be carrying all of this stuff around with them. I don't know if you saw the the documentary, it's like a one-part series with Jonah Hill and he was doing, like, a a therapy session. No, but I've heard, I have heard about it, I've not watched it. It's called Stutz. Yeah, right. And it's, like, his basically his therapist, he sits down with him and he just talks through... The things that he's been through and why that this therapist has helped him and it's like a candid conversation about mm. anxiety and stuff and i think just like things like that are going to help so many people yeah like to feel like less like oh i can't talk about it or i can't get emotional or anything like that yeah so i think things like this or like just therapy or just general conversation i feel like that's what yeah conversation's me- fun and i hope yeah. that's why these people listen so thank you thanks for giving me your time thanks for bringing me into this nice studio yeah I'll be a better Uh, one soon yeah but you have to come back (laughs) yeah well I need to see this new studio you're moving into now I need to try and bump into Will Ferrell as well (laughs) yeah I know so thanks again and as always thank you for listening and we'll be back with another episode of Blethered soon cheers cheers